I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you so much again for joining us. Great to be with you, Mike and Mary. I'm so glad to start the new year with you. Yay. Oh, that's very nice. So, Archbishop, how was your last month? How was the month of December for you? Um, how did you celebrate Christmas? I'd love to hear just how, how have you been? What's going on with you? Well, um, like for everyone else, or as for everyone else, I guess I should say, being uh, grammatically correct, as for everyone <laughs> else, uh, it was certainly a very peculiar Advent uh, mm. and a very peculiar Christmas. Um, I don't know about you, the listeners, but it did seem strange not to have the holiday uh, celebrations that have been typically so much part of my life. Mm -hmm. And then that led to a very peculiar, a peculiarly quiet Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tried to, to take advantage of the, that quietness to, uh, to be more contemplative, to be uh, more aware, to think more about uh, the meaning uh, of the Incarnation, and that God is with us. I think that's one of the important parts of, well, that's at the, the key uh, message for us in the midst of our troubles these days in the pandemic, that he is Emmanuel. Uh, my own Christmas celebration, I, I tried to take very seriously the uh, admonition to stay safe. Yeah. So it was principally uh, celebrating Midnight Mass here at the cathedral and uh, using the privilege I have of offering the Holy Father's apostolic blessing to uh, the people who were present. Oh, I don't know. Awesome. Yeah. I, I suspect you... you had Christmases like that too. Yeah, definitely. Our, I mean, ours are a little bit more tame or quieter in the same respect. I don't know. How about you, Mary? Your... Yeah, ours were as well. Yeah, there wasn't as much family and not as much gathering. And, you know, we had to just... Uh, figure things out so we didn't get to meet with the grandparents on one side and that was hard you know but we we did a zoom call it was funny my my in-laws delivered presents and then we zoomed opened them up with them so we yeah. were able to connect it's just it's different but you know like you said Archbishop Vigneron I I did find some beauty in the quiet of it and and I've really been trying to focus on that like the gift that it was to spend Christmas day with just my children and husband because sometimes you get in this pattern during the holidays, you know, where you're running from place to place and trying to make sure you're seeing everybody. So th there was blessing in the strange, you know, so. And, and even uh, an awareness uh, as we face this time of trial, uh, it makes it all the more uh, uh, striking. It gives us all the greater kind of gratitude to God uh, that, uh, that he wants to be with us in, in mm. the things that make life very difficult. Absolutely. You know, Archbishop, I was going to ask, did you, you mentioned it was a little bit quieter and different. How, how, did you enjoy that quiet? And did you enjoy that difference? Uh, as Mary said, she kind of found it a, a blessing for this year. Did you find it equally a blessing or did you kind of lament uh, your normal uh, activities you do around this season? I tried to find the grace in it. I'll be mm. honest with you, Mike, but that was a challenge. Yeah. I, I really did miss... Uh, uh, say Christmas Day, having dinner with my family. Yeah, oh, for sure. That's hard. Archbishop, did you actually uh, make? Are you a, a New Year's resolution man? Do you do you make resolutions each year at all, or, or not really? I'm making resolutions all the time. <laughs> <laughs> On the regular. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. Any anything specific for uh, 2021? Uh, no, I can't say that there is. Honestly, yeah. Okay. I'm. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I feel like this time in like history, we were constantly evaluating, right? Like I know, changes yeah. in our lives and in, yeah, it's interesting. So this time of year also, we are usually send thousands of people to travel to Washington DC for the annual March for Life, which is held on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. This year, because of the pandemic, Catholics across the country instead were encouraged to observe a nationwide prayer vigil 
from Thursday, January 28th to Friday, January 29th with a live broadcast of Mass, a Rosary, and live holy hours by bishops from dioceses across the nation. Um, listeners who want to learn more about participating in those can go to the USCCB.org and the nationalshrine.org. Archbishop Vigneron, have you ever attended the March for Life in person? I have. Uh, it's very impressive. It's wonderful to see uh, so many Catholics and, and people of other uh, ecclesial communions mm -hmm. and people of goodwill all standing shoulder to shoulder uh, for uh, a witness to the sanctity of life. What's particularly impressive are all the young people who mm -hmm. uh, come for the March to Life. If I could brag a little bit, uh, yeah. one of the great gifts I had when I was the Bishop of Oakland was to be part of what uh, on the West Coast is called the Walk for Life Yes. Uh, on a different date, but it provides an opportunity for people who are just so very far away from the capital, from mm. Washington, D.C., to be able uh, to be very, very public about our witness to life. Uh, I was glad to be uh, there at the beginning, the first uh, walk for life in the West Coast. And again, it was an opportunity, particularly with a lot of uh, young people, to uh, to give a witness to life. So you were there when that started? You you're, you yeah. helped to mm -hmm. start that? That's yeah, it was, uh, that was the, uh, the uh, pro-life uh, office uh, for San Francisco that organized it, and mm -hmm. of course, just being the neighbor to the east across the bay, we were the sure. likely ally. That's great. You know, what can people, in your opinion, do to learn from home more about what it means to be pro-life? Like, as we open that up, especially in, in our culture, how do we help people to understand what it is to be pro-life, how to, um, to open that up in our homes? Well, I, I think it's a, a whole range of activities. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> the... Uh, uh, commemoration on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade puts us in mind of uh, political action. You know, uh, we have a, a firm conviction that we, the people of the United States, govern the United States. And so mm. uh, we all need to be politically educated what we can do to uh, stop the spread of abortion and what we can do to advance uh, the, uh, the right to life, to make it uh, to, to reverse the, uh, the, the dissolution of, of a conviction about the right to life. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it's, it then branches out to much wider uh, sensibilities about what we can do to support uh, women who, and, and men too, families that are have, experiencing crisis pregnancies. Uh, that's a very important part of uh, being pro-life. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, scientific knowledge is very helpful. Obviously, this is something people people uh, talk about. I think uh, the science of uh, uh, genetics uh, mm -hmm. supports uh, the right to life, makes a great mm -hmm. argument uh, about the right to life. I think uh, there are people, people can examine their own lives and see what are the places in which they can contribute to a, a culture of life. Mm. And I think parents uh, sharing this good news with their children and helping their children grow in, in the appreciation for the right to life, because that's countercultural. It yeah. really goes against so many, uh, uh, so, much, so much of the dynamic of our contemporary culture, which is mm -hmm. pro-abortion. Right. It's funny trying to, with my little, my little kids, breaching that with some of my older ones. You know, I have a fourth grader and a third grader and, and trying to figure out language that helps them to understand this particular duty of Catholics to speak up for the unborn. And uh, just recently I was talking to my son and kind of explaining, you know, some people think in this country that, you know, if a child is in a womb, they don't, they don't necessarily have a right to exist. And the horror for my sons, that it was just shocking to them. <laughs> you know, why would, why would anybody think that, you know? And there was a simplicity in the reaction that really convicted me once again of this urgency to stand up for life in all of its forms, right? And it's super important to Catholics, I think. It is, and uh, it, it's one dimension of being pro-family in the sense mm. of having a sense that we're responsible for one another. Yeah. Uh, St. John Paul, when he talked about the, the feminine 
charism particularly said that the mother has a, a great uh, uh, call to exemplify the acceptance of the other, mm -hmm. uh, the child in her womb. And, uh, but we need to be supportive of uh, a woman answering that call, uh, the, of, of being responsible for somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a lesson that certainly is true about uh, the child in the womb, mm -hmm. but it, it's really about the whole of life uh, that uh, we, we do belong to one another. We're not uh, isolated elements that are unconnected. I think the Pope Francis tries to get at this by his emphasis on uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, that uh, there are a lot of ways to, we see the wounded uh, uh, a person who fell among thieves, mm. and we're all called when we see that, uh, to, to, to make that person par part of our responsibility. Right. That's great. But and hopefully we'll be able to have a real prayerful time. This will invite us, like we were saying, with Advent and Christmas. We had to do it in a different way. And so those of us that are used to going to Washington, D.C., we get to pray in a different way, right? Like less of a rally together and more of a co uh, contemplative understanding our role in prayer, right, with one another. Yeah, and uh, I think particularly in that sense to to be one with our Blessed Mother, particularly mm. Our Lady of Guadalupe. She's a great patroness uh, for the unborn because of her having herself depicted uh, as uh, as pregnant in yeah. the tilma, uh, as a witness to to the sanctity of life. Just to mention, Mary, uh, one of the things we're doing besides what's going on from the USCCB, mm -hmm. on the 23rd uh, of January, Saturday at 11 in the morning, uh, I'm gonna offer mass uh, for uh, the Sanctity of Life at the cathedral, and that's gonna be live streamed. Oh, wonderful. That's good to know so that we can kind of join together locally with you, so. Well, Archbishop, today we're really excited to dive in and talk about uh, all things sacred scripture today. I know um, you're going to be releasing a, a new pastoral note called The Power of the Word of God, uh, which is being released on January 24th. And that timing is not a coincidence, of course, because um, on January 24th, the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, Pope Francis last year established as the Sunday of the Word of God. So uh, coinciding with those, both those events uh, here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, we're recognizing the importance of Scripture in our lives, of course. And I know many people, uh, because of a, a more recent podcast that's out there, you know, um, uh, Father Mike Schmitz is doing a Bible in a year, and it just seems like with um, COVID and especially some of our civil unrest, I think some people are starting to turn a little bit more back to to God and turning to prayer and, and seeing that the uh, there's a need for something outside of ourselves for resolution. And so uh, many people are turning back to Scripture uh, to to encounter God and to fuel themselves with God's own word and revelation. So uh, we're really excited to get into this topic today. And so to begin with, I wanted to ask you just, um, you know, your own kind of uh, relationship with Scripture and, and what the Church teaches about Scripture and um, just kind of an overall view of that. I think uh, I wind up uh, in my own way of uh, embracing the gift of the sacred scripture is through the lens, through the window, the perspective of, of the sacred liturgy. And I think a lot of that comes from my own ministry. In, in this point, uh, I again and again wind up uh, being clear that what the sacred scripture witnesses to is the same thing that I experience in the sacraments and the other uh, celebrations of the sacred liturgy. And so uh, I go again and again uh, to resources that help me uh, appreciate the sacred scriptures uh, in their relation to the liturgy. And I've grown certainly over these decades since I've been a priest in my understanding that uh, the real interpretive key to the scripture is the sacred liturgy. Uh, everything that we read in the, in the scripture 
is really also about uh, the liturgy because it's about Jesus and Christ is made present to us in the liturgy. So uh, I see these two gifts as intimately related and for me they illuminate one another uh, powerfully. Hmm. Beautiful. Archbishop, I don't know if you wouldn't mind just speaking a little bit about what the you know, obviously the Bible as, as, a, as a book, as a library of books has been around for a long time. It's, you know, I, I don't know if it's still the most purchased or most uh, read book, um, but obviously there's many perspectives on scripture, especially in today's day and age. Um, what, what does the Catholic Church itself teach about sacred scripture, if you wouldn't mind just kind of a, a general overview on that? Well, I mean, a real good summary, of course, about the Church's doctrine, her belief about sacred scripture, is found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I think some basic points that, uh, orienting points are, first of all, that sacred scripture has two authors. It has a human author and a divine author, and that there isn't anything in the scripture that is not willed by God to be there. This can seem peculiar to us because uh, in our ordinary way of thinking about things, if Mike, if you and I, Mary, you and I, or the three of us were to author something together, we might have to compromise or we each do a piece of it, Mm. but we wouldn't think about that we are, each of us is totally the author of everything. Mm. But that's not the way God works with his human uh, instruments. So that, say, the gospel according to St. Matthew, or, or say, a letter of St. Paul, like the letter to the Romans, Paul wrote it. It's all Paul. And yet, at the same time, there isn't anything in there that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did not want to be there. I think that, that's the way we have to begin, hmm. so that uh, through this human agency, God is speaking to us. Uh, God takes the initiative out of his eternal silence to speak to us. That's Jesus. And uh, the witness to Jesus is in the, in the sacred scripture. And so that's why it's such a blessing to us. It, it's, a, it's a set of writings. It's a book unlike any other book because it's authored by God himself. Mm. So, as I said, it's all about Christ. We say in the creed, who has spoken to us, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us through the prophets, through the scripture. The Holy Spirit can't say anything other than the word who became flesh in in the womb of Our Lady. So it's all about Jesus. Everything we read. Now, some of it's a little harder to see how it is about Christ, but it at least, I mean, a, a simple way is that some of the even the most complex and uh, obscure passages in the Old Testament at least are about Christ insofar as they help prepare for his coming. And, and uh, again, back to that point, the, the best way, it's not the, maybe not the best way, but the fullest way to think about scripture is within the context of the liturgy. I mean, we use sacred scripture, we pray with it in private, we pray with it in in small groups, we study it, but uh, it takes on its brightest meaning. I guess that's the best way to put it, when it's proclaimed in the liturgy, because uh, in the action of Christ our head, in his body, the church, in the liturgy, uh, what is proclaimed is experienced. And so even when we're reading scripture privately, meditating on it, I think we, we do well always to remember how it points to its fulfillment in the sacred liturgy. Uh, the liturgy and the scripture uh, belong together. Uh, if, you, if you take one part away, you really unravel the, the other part. And then I suppose the, the last point I would make is that there's a grace in every text for every person. If God chose so to speak, and he did, he must have wanted something for me in his speaking. Uh, there's, uh, there's a blessing in the word, the, the text, the chapter, 
that, uh, that he wants me to have. And the Holy Spirit will open that up for me uh, on, on any particular day. That's why praying to the Holy Spirit uh, before uh, meditating or studying the scripture is so important. You know, Father, what do you want, what do you want me to hear? Uh, what's here today for me? And one of the things that's true about the scripture is the, what I hear God saying in a certain verse today uh, might be very different from what I heard last year, depending on uh, what, what's going on in my life. But it applies to my life, and it, it's a word of comfort, often a word of challenge as well, of course, uh, a word of a call uh, and a comfort uh, for where I am at this point in my history. I've talked a long time. What do you all do? You, you all talk about how does it work for you? It's so interesting listening to you talk. There's uh, two big things just while you were speaking. That connection to the liturgy, I, I'm not sure I always focus on that. And that's such a way to kind of open up scripture wider and deeper than uh, what I sometimes do. And then that other piece that you spoke about, that God is speaking to each of us. In this past year, I've been able to, uh, I've been very intentional about waking up in the morning before any of my kids wake up and spending time with the word of God. And it is, it's just like you said, it's, there's, there's verses, there's chapters that I've read a hundred times before, maybe not that many, but that come alive in a new way based on my experience of today. It really is like God speaking. You can meditate on that forever, right, Mike? Do you like, do you find that too? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I, like you, Mary, I didn't really think about that liturgical connection per se as much. However, I, I, I do it because I do read the readings of every day. So that is obviously through our liturgical texts and uh, our lectionary that is the, that the church in its wisdom has put forth for us. And I know over the course of three years, you know, much, if not almost all the, the entire Bible is, is heard. If you're reading the reading, all of the readings every day, um, so I know that's been a practice of mine for a while, and I've always found it, you know, you know, prayer life ebbs and flows. There's times where I get deeper into scripture in my prayer life and times where, you know, I'll focus more on praying a rosary or something instead. Um, but I know, like you said, every time I've, I've gone into the focus on it and really focus, like, like really try to meditate and steep myself in the word, uh, it's, always, it's always efficacious. There's always good things that yeah, come like- from it. God's personally speaking to yeah. me. I've really felt that a lot this year, especially with some of the chaos of what we've been living through, Yeah, that I, I'm finding I'm clinging to scripture in a different way than I ever have before. And I think a lot of people are, Mike, you alluded to that in the beginning of the, the podcast, that there seems to be a hunger from a lot of different areas to be closer to God and to be closer to his word. I think that's that's coming alive. You know, Archbishop, in your new pastoral note, you encouraged Catholics to be renewed in their zeal to study the Bible and to teach it even to the very young. What did you mean by that? To teach it to the very young? Should yeah. we start with that? Sure. Um, <laughs> I think the best way of, about teaching is to share. Um, mm. As far as I, I've read, the, actually, even some sociological analysis about useful catechesis, when it says that uh, uh, parents, especially in the fulfillment of their responsibility be, to be the primary catechists of their children, the formators of their kids, um, what works best is not so much telling them what to do, but to do it with them. And I think. Uh, to model that and to incorporate that for children is one of the best ways that one can uh, uh, help young people, help, help, help in families, uh, can uh, uh, help, can form the habit of, of using sacred scripture. To spontaneous prayer, read a text, and then uh, offer one's uh, response to God's word. This is what I hear God saying, and this is what I say back. And yeah. to invite to invite the other members of the family, the other the other spouse, the children, grandparents, to to respond. Is that, is that simple enough, but useful yeah, I, enough? 
I think I, you know what it made me think about when you were talking is the gift. And I, I always talk about this when I talk to people about the Archdiocese of Detroit of that, the book that was put forth, the 52 Sundays movement of reading scripture with your family and then opening it up throughout the week and making Sunday kind of a sacred day. And it's enhanced our family. And it's exactly what you said, Archbishop Vigneron. We read it in the morning on Sunday morning. All the kids gather first thing. We read the scripture out of the book and then we use the guided questions to really open it up. And what's funny, because it ties back to the liturgy piece that you're saying. I find when we do that on Sunday morning, when we go to mass then as a family an hour later or two hours later, my children are able to listen differently because we've opened it up at home, you know, so they already own the scripture versus kind of getting, uh, you know, distracted at mass or it's hard to stay focused. It sounds familiar to them because we've read it at home first, you know, so that's kind of, that's a neat way to see how it connects to the liturgy as well. You also talk about well, a, let, let, let's ahead. stop there a minute yes, uh, because I'm going to ask you, uh, ask both of you. What do you find is provoked in the hearts of of the of the children in in their? I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the way the Holy Spirit works, especially in young children, mm-hmm. to uh, attract them to to God and to provoke responses from God. Uh, uh, what what do you see goes on in the hearts of of, uh, of your kids? So I can only say that I, I think, when I think about when I was growing up, we did not read scripture at home a lot. In fact, my parents, and I wanted to ask you about this too, my, my parents were almost, my parents weren't, but their parents, so my grandparents, almost cautioned against reading scripture privately at home um, and then to only do it within the the conf- or within the experience of the liturgy and so i never read it and owned scripture until I was an adult. So it was just something we did on Sundays. You know, it would kind of go over my head a lot, if I'm being honest. And I feel like for my kids, they're having a different experience because, for instance, this weekend, when we're reading about the baptism of Jesus, we're talking about their baptisms and we're talking about the role of John the Baptist and they're making connections in ways that I definitely di- didn't do when I was a child at all. Like, I, I it was never something that was... Um, the story of Jesus seemed very far away for, uh, from me when I was growing up. And I think what reading scripture in our family has done is it's made the person of Jesus close to them and their experiences. If that, does that make sense? Do, do, does it provoke in, in, in them something that's marvelous and that you notice in their hearts? What, I mean, I presume it does. What, what, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, it's well, again, I'm just going to go to 52 Sundays in our experience, the questions that we ask, you know, so saying one of the questions this week from the baptism of Jesus, and that dates this podcast, but that's when we had just heard that scripture this Sunday was, you know, what did, uh, why do you think? that the Holy Spirit said, this is my beloved son. And one of my kids, Archbishop Vigneron, answers, and they're not being led, says, well, because they wanted, the Holy Spirit wanted people to understand that Jesus was God, <laughs> like the people that were there, you know? And they came up with that themselves. And so, yeah, I think reading it helps them to connect in a different way to the story of Christ, right? What about you, Mike? Like when you've done it with teenagers... Yeah, I don't have any children at home, Archbishop, but uh, I know my my years of doing youth ministry. I feel like what I what I found, and and this needed to be kind of uh, tactfully led by myself as a youth minister or other youth ministers that I saw, um, but to really the encouragement of young people to utilize their imagination. And I think any time that that was uh, drawn out well by the catechist or youth minister or whoever, the the encouragement to utilize imagination, the encouragement to kind of do a Lexio Divina with the utilization of imagination, uh, that's where I really saw like kind of the the pop and the sizzle, you know what I mean, going on in the young people's minds and it it spoke into their into their hearts in a different way because they really put themselves into the scenes. They really put themselves into that perspective rather than kind of reading a dusty old book and it became more alive and real. And I think it, it, um, in and through doing that methodology, utilization of imagination, it um, it helped them to actually not just read an old book, but to encounter Christ in his actual reality. Like that he's not just a, a dead literary character, but he's alive today. That's, that's the type of things that I saw uh, in my years in ministry, for sure, with the young people. 
Well, this is a great act of faith to pick up the scriptures with this expectation that this is God speaking and he wants me to, to hear something in particular that uh, has never been heard before because it's to be heard today, this day, by me. Uh, and that, that requires a, a great act of faith, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He, he makes it happen. That, uh, that God really cares about breaking through and, and communicating to me. Uh, in fact, in some sense, it's more important to God than it is to me, for, for him to, and, and me uh, to have this, uh, this conversation. And that leads to me to, you, you call uh, scripture a dialogue of love in your pastoral note. And is that kind of what you're talking about when you talk about the fact that it's more important to God almost <laughs> for me to have yeah. this than for me? Right. God to, and, and the almost, I mean, we have to be careful yeah, exa- uh, yeah. <laughs> when we talk about uh, uh, God the Father. But, I mean, we, sure. we can talk about God the Son who is mm-hmm. incarnate and has a human heart and human feelings. And he certainly represents the fullness of the, the initiative of the Father to draw near to us. And uh, he, he seeks to woo us. Uh, he, he seeks to draw us into a love affair with him. Um, this is uh, exemplified in uh, speaking of the church herself as the spouse of Christ. And Christ uh, espoused to each, each one of us. Uh, each soul is in some sense married to Christ. And uh, if people are espoused each to other, uh, they, they need to communicate. I mean, that, that's why marriages fall apart, uh, because uh, people stop communicating. You know, that's one of my favorite things about your letter, too, is that you have a whole section uh, in it talking about responding to the Word. And to be honest, I, I think that's, a, that's an, an area, like you were just saying, about the dialogue of love we've often forgotten about. I think we've gotten almost too comfortable with being passively just reading this, like as a historical text, or to study it like it's any other old book. But I like that you had a whole section on response, and I think because we haven't necessarily called for that enough— uh, or invited people to think it through that idea of response enough, it hasn't seemed like a dialogue, and therefore it hasn't seemed like an encounter. It seemed more like a study of something kind of distant. Um, I know one way that we can do, obviously, that great response is by utilizing Lectio Divina um, as a great way to learn to pray in a method that helps us to kind of grow in a response. Can you speak a little bit to to Lectio Divina and what how it's played a role in your own life, Archbishop, and, and what it is? Well, it's, it's a pretty simple uh, approach uh, that really requires, uh, first of all, beginning uh, picking up the text with a confidence that there's something today uh, that God wants me to hear. He wants to speak to my heart. And so to meditatively, some people read the whole uh, text through once and then go back and uh, read a bit and a bit until something uh, strikes their attention, I mean, called the Lexio, the reading. And this already requires uh, an act of faith, that God wants me to hear something, and that uh, an act of confidence that what strikes my imagination and captures my attention uh, is, uh, is what I should pay attention to. That's not just me. That's the Holy Spirit who dwells in my heart, uh, underscoring, kind of highlighting something that I should pay attention to. Then there's the proper call meditation. Some people call it simply uh, savoring, uh, to, to think about what's captured my imagination, to, to look at it from several directions, uh, to, to understand but, but I would say not simply intellectual understanding, to, but to appreciate, to listen. Uh, what, what is emerging uh, out of, say, let's, let's pick a, an example. One that always strikes me is uh, Jesus uh, uh, restoring to life uh, the uh, dead son of the widowed uh, woman of Naim. Uh, one thing that captures my attention is just Jesus touching the beer and stopping everyone. 
uh, inevitably that uh, is an object of my meditatio, my meditation. And I think about that gesture as one of great compassion. It's the sort of thing uh, that uh, any friend would do. Uh, uh, I mean, you see it, I see it so often when I go to a wake, uh, how people want to touch the, uh, the coffin. But here, I mean, I appreciated that this is, this is God the Son uh, who took on flesh so that he could do something like this, that he could be there uh, to touch uh, the, the beer uh, that this uh, weeping widow is following. And then whatever, I, I've offered an example to try and help clarify what's going on. So what captures my attention to uh, examine, to, to meditate, to, to chew on what's going on. And then to respond, uh, to have confidence that uh, those insights, that uh, what's been provoked in my thinking and in my feelings have been given to me by the Holy Spirit. And then the third step is to speak, oratio, to, to respond. Uh, in light of uh, what I've seen, what I've felt uh, as a part of all of this, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, how do I respond? Uh, is, is it simply to say thanks? Is, is uh, what's the right what are the right things? What, what needs to be said? I think we're all accustomed to that kind of a, a conversation. Uh, things are presented to us as, par, as uh, in our conversation partner. Uh, what's the right thing to answer? What, what fits? What needs to be, what do I need to say to God? What do I need to say to Jesus? Uh, because of what I've noticed about his compassion. Uh, and then, uh, the fourth step, and, and these can be articulated in, in uh, more detail, but in the letter it just talks about contem contemplatio, contemplation, uh, just to rest in peace, with what, enjoy uh, what's gone on in the conversation, to, to simply treasure it as a gift that's been given to me. And I will say sometimes uh, it, uh, what I, I wind up thanking God for is uh, for the opportunity to have tried to pray and sometimes uh, not much light comes. But even if uh, there's no strong experience of light, uh, that's the gift God gave me in prayer today because I'm confident that whenever I put myself in God's presence in prayer, he gives me uh, gifts, uh, but sometimes he doesn't let me feel them. Uh, uh, but I, I, uh, I'm, I, I believe with all my heart that God wants to communicate with me. And even if I don't feel the communication, he is, he's drawing me in, in love. So that's a little bit of an example. I will say uh, one of the ways that uh, a kind of very particular form of uh, uh, Lexio Divina that I use is the one that's been taught by St. Ignatius Loyola using my imagination. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you asked that question this morning. I was uh, praying with the daily readings and uh, from the Gospel of Mark, there was a line where I think it was Simon went and found Jesus and said, everyone's looking for you. <laughs> and exactly what you were just talking about, Archbishop, as I kind of read through that, and actually I was using an app where they read it out loud, the, the daily reading, that line just kept coming to me. And that fourth step that you talked about, just sitting at kind of peace and contemplation with, with that piece of scripture for me, that, um, you know, the, the disciples telling Jesus, people are looking for you. And his response to that, I feel like sometimes as church ministers, you know, we're in that situation where we're like, Jesus, <laughs> people are looking for you. <laughs> and, and so it, I, it only, I'm only saying that to illustrate, it surprises me in the most delightful way how when I choose to be intentional and quiet with scripture, more often than not, Jesus has, he is, he's speaking to me. He's speaking to me through his word. And that it's, it's a cool thing to do if people listening have not ever really intentionally tried to sit with 
God speaking to us. It's, it's pretty profound. You think about uh, all the weird ways people have tried to divine uh, the mind of God, things like Ouija boards or uh, uh, astrology, uh, all of those kind of, I mean, some of it a descent into terrible superstition, but um, we don't, uh, God has taken the initiative. He has spoken to us. Uh, we, this is the grace of it. Uh, it's not like a, we have to uh, torture uh, the world in order to find out what God thinks and what God, God's attitudes are. He, he has spoken to us. And St. Paul says, last of all, he has spoken to us in Christ Jesus. And the ultimate speaking is the cross and the resurrection. I'm sorry, Mary, I interrupted you, though. No, you didn't. No, that was, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you, you said that. This is uh, such a good conversation, I think, because it's such an important piece of our, our spiritual life. And, and Mike, you've talked with me, too, about this idea of God searching for us and God mm. wanting to speak to us, and that scripture often we, we look at as man's desire to find God, right? But that it can also be looked at as God's desire to find us. So your pastoral note was released on this year's Sunday of the Word of God, or will be being released on that, established last year by Pope Francis. Can you tell us more about Sunday of the Word of God and how that came about? We talked a little bit about it last year, I remember, but if you want to speak to it and kind of refresh our memories. Well, I think it's uh, the response of the Holy Father to uh, the synod that was on the topic uh, about the Word of God and uh, a way to uh, advance all of us in in uh, uh, picking up uh, really Pope Benedict's uh, Verbum Domini uh, after, after that synod, uh, really it continues to be part of the uh, implementation of the Second Vatican Council with uh, its Constitution on Divine Revelation. I think it, it's, it's quite coherent as a pastoral strategy. Uh, and, and in a world where uh, the, uh, the good news is taken less and less for granted and becomes more and more obscure. We have to uh, be more and more responsible personally uh, to, uh, to be attentive and hear the, hear the word and, and embrace it. Now, when Pope Francis kind of instituted this uh, day as a, with an, an apostolic letter, why did he choose the third Sunday in Ordinary Time? Is there any significance to that in the liturgical year, or is it just a, a date to kind of... Well, I think it, it, it takes us uh, after the Christmas cycle, and it uh, logically uh, picks up on uh, the rhythm of after celebrating the Incarnation, before we move into Lent, uh, to, uh, in, in this time, uh, to be aware of... Uh, hearing the Word of God and responding to the Word of God. Archbishop, I wonder if, as, as we can kind of conclude this part of the discussion, I wonder if you might be willing to share, you know, what, what is your favorite story or passage of Scripture, and, and what's your kind of preferred way? I know you mentioned the liturgy, of course, earlier, but do, do you have kind of a, your own personal methodology or way that you, you choose to sit with Scripture? Do you always kind of go into Lectio Divina and use your imagination? I know you kind of referred to earlier, but um, just kind of how, how do you, as an archbishop of our archdiocese, uh, choose to uh, kind of come close to scripture and also what is your favorite passage or story that you kind of go to? Well, two things, uh, well, three, three things that are going on in my life these days uh, about the sacred scripture. Uh, one is uh, I'm paying more and more attention to uh, being attentive to the Psalms I pray in the divine office. And uh, and I, I've been a, a priest now since, uh, uh, gee, <laughs> what year was that? 1975, I was ordained a priest. And so I, I was ordained a deacon in 1973. The divine office became uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, uh, a grave responsibility for me fr from that year, but I was already praying uh, parts of the office for sure. So it's been decades that I've been uh, immersed in the Psalms every day. And I've tried 
to be refreshed in my use of the Psalms uh, in the divine office, and particularly to think uh, and, and to let myself be stopped when something um, uh, captures my attention, whether a, a phrase in the Psalm seems appropriately uh, uh, understood as coming from the heart and mind of Jesus. Uh, I recently, and, and I'm sorry I don't remember the number of the Psalm, but there is uh, a line, my heart is numb within me. And I was thinking about how that applies uh, to our Lord in his agony in the garden, uh, the numb, what, what must have been going on in his heart. And another way that the uh, element, a part of a psalm will capture my attention is to see how it illuminates something that's going on in my life. So uh, that's one uh, way that uh, I'm these days particularly engaged with the sacred scripture. Uh, the second is my daily meditation. And I usually uh, work, uh, I usually set my, uh, my hour of uh, meditation, holy hour, uh, center it on the, the daily readings uh, and uh, let God show me in those readings uh, what he then will provide for me in, in my daily uh, offering of the Holy Eucharist. So that, that's, a, that's the typical way I go about my, uh, my meditatio, my, my uh, engagement with, my prayerful engagement with the sacred scripture. And then thirdly, I find especially in these last few years, I am spending more and more time reading commentaries on, on the sacred scripture. Uh, that's uh, not been, it, it's, the last few years it's been particularly important to, uh, to me. Uh, and I would mention two authors in particular. One is uh, a, a veteran professor of sacred scripture at the, the Jesuit University in Rome. Uh, a man named Venois, with his uh, commentaries on the letter to the Hebrews. And this has uh, captured a lot of my attention. The other author who has helped me very much in my appreciation in these last years is the uh, Anglican professor who eventually became a bishop in the Anglican Church and now has resigned and gone back to teaching, uh, Nicholas Thomas Wright, N.T. Wright. Uh, and uh, I find his commentaries uh, very, very illuminative. So, and, and uh, well, actually, uh, particularly, I'm, I'm finding it helpful to read commentaries on the wisdom literature, the, the Book of Wisdom, uh, uh, Koheleth, those, those books. You know, we didn't ask you earlier, and I'm, I'm curious now, um, you've explained kind of in your priestly formation how you use scripture. When you were younger, did you, when you were a child, did you read scripture aside from mass, or did you just really kind of listen to the word in mass? What was your experience like kind of as you found, uh, walked your path to your vocation? Was scripture a big part of it? Um, in grade school, uh, scripture was part of our catechesis insofar as we had a book called uh, Bible History. <laughs> and I think uh, the textbooks we used uh, were already in use by my dad when he, he was a student okay. <laughs> in, in the Immaculate Conception in Anchorville. Uh, one of the most important formations I received in sacred scripture in an attitude about scripture uh, came uh, from uh, the direction our parish priest, uh, Father Harry Paul, gone to God now some years, uh, brought to our parish in his interest in uh, the liturgical movement. And so uh, one thing that really sticks in my mind is he brought to our parish a form of uh, the Stations of the Cross that were principally based upon the sacred scripture. Uh, I remember uh, this, the uh, station, uh, Jesus is stripped of his garments, and uh, then what was read is the text, they divided my garments among them and for my vesture they cast lots, which is an Old Testament text, but applied to uh, the mystery of the life of Jesus. 
And as I look back on my own formation, that was very important as a way for me uh, to get some foundational orientations uh, about the sacred scripture. And I think uh, I've mentioned my own sense of the complementarity, uh, the, the necessary togetherness of scripture and the liturgy. I think uh, those childhood experiences were already a part of that. I, uh, when I came to the high school seminary in the ninth grade, uh, one of the books we had to buy was uh, the confraternity edition of uh, the Bible. This is the first time I ever owned a Bible. I think probably the first time I ever had one at my particular use. And I, re I still have that book. I, I keep it. It's a real precious. Uh, now the cover's fallen off. I'm sure. But it's a, a precious <laughs> thing to me. And, and I remember as, as a 14-year-old just being in awe that somehow I now owned a Bible. Uh, it was really a great blessing. And I was uh, uh, blessed in my uh, religion courses in the high school seminary in the ninth grade to uh, have a, uh, the whole curriculum that year as it was throughout the Archdiocese of Detroit in those years, so we're talking about 1962, was uh, uh, salvation history curriculum. Uh, it was, I believe, written uh, by one of the, uh, uh, the priests of the archdiocese. That was a pretty uh, up-to-date movement at that time. And I think uh, that formation was very important in my understanding of the sacred scripture. Awesome. It's good to kind of hear your, your history of walking with scripture. I wanted to make sure before we end to say that the Archdiocese is doing some really cool things in 2021 with scripture. If you go to the Unleash the Gospel website, they have all kinds of challenges and they, they put it together. Mike and I were kind of looking at it together in a really neat way where you can kind of accept a challenge or a commitment to walk with scripture this year. And some of them, there's like the way they, they phrased it was through running the race, right? So there's like a 5K challenge and then there's a 10K challenge. Challenge. And if you want to do the marathon, if you want to do the ultra marathon, different challenges that we have. And I find things like that are really helpful when there's a, hey, your challenge is to sit with scripture every single day and be accountable to that time. And so I want to make sure everybody uh, makes looks into that this year, because I think it's going to really enhance our worship in the Archdiocese of Detroit. So is there anything else you want to add about sacred scripture, Archbishop? To... All of us, uh, we need to join together to give God praise and thanks for this great gift. Uh, uh, it, it's one of the, the precious, precious uh, objects that he has given to his church. So every month we ask people in the Archdiocese of Detroit to submit questions, and then we have an opportunity to ask them to you, Archbishop Vigneron. If anyone listening would like to submit any questions, please email eyes on jesus podcast at aod.org make sure to include your name and your parish and of course your question our first question comes from pam at our lady of good counsel pam says right now in the aod you can only officially belong to one parish at a time if you want to join a second parish you are taken off the rolls of the first parish when families of parishes begins can you belong to all the parishes in your family can you or should you financially support them all Mary, one of the problems is I don't have an answer for that question. I think uh, I think that's a, a, a cash out, a, a question about consequences for the direction we're taking that I, I don't know that I've uh, seen articulated. But okay. it's a good question, and I will uh, uh, bring it uh, with me to uh, the people that I, I consult with, and we'll, we'll talk about it. That is a good question about the practicalities of families yeah. of parishes. I think yeah. we've talked we talked a lot on uh, last episode about the kind of philosophy behind it, but there are some real practical things that I'm sure people are thinking. So cool, we look forward to that answer. Wonderful. Archbishop, the second question we have here for you is from Marlise, and she asks, I love that we are trying to unleash the gospel and increase the number of people who have a relationship with the Holy Trinity. Are there any indicators that progress has been made since this is began? I think the indicators are pretty much uh, 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 anecdotal at this point, uh, but they're very strong. Uh, actually, I thought it was really interesting to me in my own Christmas cards how many 
cards I got from people who I don't know that ordinarily would get them from, but who, who say that uh, the, uh, the commitment to unleash the gospel has been very important in them, for them in, in their lives. It's been inspiring, I think, and even the, the the language behind it, that we all now have this unified language of unleashing the gospel so we can see all these different movements. You know, I referred to the, the scripture reading or 52 Sundays. It's all thought of, of this kind of collective community growing together through the Archdiocese of Detroit. So that's neat. And I do know that, I mean, it's making a national impact as well. I mean, I know I've heard many people that are that have nothing to do with the Archdiocese of Detroit, people that live in various other places. They're seeing what we're doing here in Detroit. They're taking note, and they're even utilizing many of the resources that we're, that we're putting out. So I think hopefully there's a, a slow but steady progress that's being made from, from my perspective anyway. Yeah. One uh, data point that uh, I have seen is uh, how many uh, uh, connections uh, through email and uh, social media we've made. And uh, Edmundo Reyes tells me that uh, those numbers are, are very, very significant. Well, they do such a good job, too, I think, within the communications department of uh, making sure people can stay connected in a really modern way, which I'm not sure every diocese does that, and I think it really helps us to feel connected to the wider kind of church in Detroit picture, so. I know that uh, we should use uh, all of the uh, um, leadership techniques and uh, natural wisdom that uh, are appropriate for assessments, but uh, in the end, uh, it is ultimately going to be the assessment at the, uh, at the last judgment that counts. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> We'll be able to see all of that with new eyes when we enter into eternity. So, the one exactly, uh, very good. All right. Well, Maggie at St. Paul on the Lake asked this question. We've asked it to you before, but I think it's good to reevaluate, especially as we move through different times and culture and years and society and I don't know a pandemic. Um, if you could meet or have dinner with one saint or pope in 2021, who would it be and why? I don't know that I would have said this even a few months ago, but right now it would be St. Bernadette. Uh, I've been led uh, to particularly look at uh, uh, the remarks St. John Paul made when he was on pilgrimage to Lourdes in 1983 uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, some of you know, some of the listeners know, how important uh, Lord's is to me in my own devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, and uh, St. John Paul is, is, as always, a brilliant uh, uh, prophetic voice about the meaning of Lord's, and especially about the significance of Bernadette's responsibility as, uh, as an evangelist, which I think is how she needs to be understood, that God the Son sent his mother uh, to bring good news at Lourdes, and Our Lady then entrusted the good news in turn to Bernadette. And uh, she more and more fascinates me as, as an evangelist, as somebody who unleashed the gospel for her time and, and her place. And uh, I think it would be interesting to compare notes with her uh, about uh, what the challenges she faced and uh, where she got the strength to be the evangelist that she was sent to be. I think she was pretty stubborn. Uh, <laughs> self, uh, and, uh, you know, you, uh, I presume a lot of the listeners will have seen uh, the song of Bernadette, the, the movie, yeah. uh, the, the Oscar-winning movie. Uh, she just wasn't going to be intimidated by anybody. And they all tried to intimidate her. And, and she, she was... She was this young teenager, and she just knew what she knew. And uh, I find that uh, very, very inspiring. And so uh, I, I think that would be, be fascinating. And, and the other part that's very interesting is uh, Our Lady, you know, said to Bernadette uh, that uh, as privileged as she was with these revelations, it didn't mean that her life was going to be easy. Uh, that uh, Our Lady said she didn't promise Bernadette uh, uh, joy in this world. That was uh, to come in the next. And uh, uh, to me, 
Bernadette's her heroism about all of that, and, and just her matter-of-factness is all very, very inspiring. You know, they, they tried to get Bernadette to come. I think once uh, she left the convent and came back to Lourdes, but I'm not even sure about that. But she, the people wanted her back, and she basically said, that's not my place anymore. Uh, that, uh, um, I, I, I was, I, I, more or less, she said she fulfilled her responsibility and her place was to be in the convent in Nevers. Hmm. Archbishop, one final question for you today. And this is from Alexandria from St. Cyril Methodius Parish. And she asks, how do you discern how to respond when someone wants to de uh, deviate from church teaching out of a misguided sense of compassion. How do you meet that person where they are at? Affirm their desire to show compassion, but still give them truth. What is it like for you as a shepherd of the church? Those are lots of questions, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and, it is. And yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's very much part of uh, our world today. I think it uh, depends how, how uh, the, the situation arises and what the situation is, uh, there's a difference between uh, that kind of challenge emerging at work or at school, uh, casually, uh, or where it c there can be a, a real serious conversation, and also whether it's about family and friends or, or just a, a passing acquaintance. But always uh, to be attentive to the other person uh, to make the good of that other person the, the preeminent concern that one has rather than winning the argument. Uh, uh, to, to understand that if God has brought me by his divine providence into this situation so that I can do some good, I can glorify him and I can be uh, his instrument uh, for, this, uh, for my neighbor, my, my brother, my sister, I think has to begin there. Then to speak the truth uh, insofar as uh, it, it can well be heard, uh, to present the truth accurately, of course, uh, the saving truth, uh, but in, in, in as uh, accommodating, not accommodating, but as uh, uh, open uh, a way as, as one can offer it and uh, to, to affirm that one is offering a hard truth uh, in love. And finally, I suppose, to make a personal witness, uh, to say in articulating the saving truth what it means to me, why, why I see it, as uh, not something that uh, is onerous, but something, uh, uh, something that helps me flourish, and I believe will help you flourish as well. For myself, uh, I mean, this is certainly very much part of uh, uh, being a priest in the 21st century, is uh, people finding it difficult to accept the, the gospel when I offer it. But I tried to think about uh, the oncologist uh, who is responsible to her patients, his patients, and uh, how irresponsible it would be to remind uh, uh, a patient who smoked uh, that that's not good for them, even if they like smoking. Uh, you know, the, the sharing the truth is uh, is a great act of love. I, I was talking to a, a physician about this the other day, a, a guy who's my friend. He said, yeah, uh, that's part of being a, a, a good practitioner of medicine is to give good advice and to offer it in, in a way that it makes it as accessible as possible so that people will be able to respond to, to that advice. It's interesting to look at it through a medical lens, you know, because of course a, a doctor would have to uh, deliver news, but we'd want a doctor to do it, like you said, in a way that's accessible so that the person understands how smoking affects them negatively and wants something different for themselves, you know, versus beating them over the head, you know, with their addiction. So that's, that's, there's a lot you can unpack with that analogy right there, I think. 
Well, then what I like about the analogy, Mary, is that it, uh, it, it implicitly affirms that the, the message of the gospel, the doctrine of the church, is not an opinion. It's not uh, something that, uh, it's not an ideology that, uh, you know, you, you, one might be uh, inclined toward this or that uh, sort of uh, stance on uh, uh, any, any particular issue. But these are truths, and they have a status as reliable as uh, medical science. Yeah. They're truth. And uh, what would be uh, a greater act of uh, uh, uncharity than to lie to people about the truth? Right. I don't, nobody wants to be lied to, right. really. Well, Archbishop, thank you again so much for joining us once more, uh, for, for listening to these questions and for answering them. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Before we close with your uh, blessing, uh, Archbishop, is there something that we can pray for you? Is there some prayer intention that's on your heart that we, the listeners, can be praying for you, for you in this next month? Well, we talked about uh, uh, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Let's all be united uh, in prayer uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to overturn that uh, erroneous decision, that false decision uh, about the nature of uh, life in the womb. Very good, will do. And Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind, could you please close us with a, a prayer and blessing? Yes. Uh, Lord God, we ask you to receive all of our aspirations to draw close to you as you draw us to yourself. We ask especially that we will uh, make uh, great use, uh, accept wholeheartedly the blessing of your word in sacred scripture so that uh, the word will take root in our lives and bear much good fruit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.